0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Patricia Sanjen Tells Her Own Story, by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Ten of Those Publishing Company, and we are on Chapter 17, Questions People Ask. The question of a child looms large in the missionary circles today, and so it should. Do children suffer from life less materially comfortable and with fewer things than they would have in their own countries? Are they adversely affected by the busy lives their parents often lead, a house open to visitors of every kind, and later the inevitable separation that school and college bring? Are parents justified in subjecting their children to such a life? From my own observation, I would say that the whole of these children do not suffer provided that special times of privacy with their parents are strictly kept. Having less in their material realm is probably a good thing. Little treats and gifts are more precious. Children are forced to use their own initiative and imagination and to provide their own entertainment. The homemade plays, concerts, dramas performed by kids dressed up in tablecloths and their children's clothes can be far more exciting than an hour spent in front of a video. There is also the education of mixing with other cultures and nationalities. Life abroad is often colorful, unconventional, and seldom boring. These children grow up as a part of the worldwide brotherhood, at home also with all types of people. They experience too that early sense of family unity as they see their parents' interest largely narrowed down to the purpose for which they came to the land of their calling. Example to preach the gospel often linked with the relief of suffering or providing educational facilities which would otherwise not be available to the local people. All this without the bewildering outside conflict of entertainment, extracurricular programs, etc., and the strain of keeping up with the Joneses. Such children come at a young age to share the interest of their parents. The coming of a soul to Jesus is rejoiced over together, and the plight of another less fortunate child, is a shared subject of prayer and caring. Of course, there are casualties. Some rebel in their early teenage years and will try out a different lifestyle, seeking their own philosophy of life. But as the years pass, life without Christ can be a soul hunger, disappointing affair, and they will never quite forget that in my father's house there was bread enough to spare. Also, as with all Christian parents, there are those strong, invisible cords of love and prayer, drawing them back to their true resting place. It is not His will that one of these little ones should perish. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Let us then rest on this promise and take heart. Most of our young people look back to their childhood years abroad with a happy nostalgia and we've been greatly encouraged by the number of missionary sons and daughters who have grown up to train and return to the country of their childhood or engage in full-time Christian work elsewhere. I have often been asked whether God's work is best undertaken by the married or the unmarried. There seems to me to be a place for both, although there are obviously some jobs which the unmarried can more easily undertake. I believe that a simple Christian home, uncluttered by foreign gadgets, where husband and wife love and honor each other, and where happy children are brought up in the nurture and the fear of the Lord, where the doors are ever open to welcome all who come, whatever their race, class, or creed, is a very real lighthouse in a dark land. Perhaps there is no greater witness to Christian unity than a truly Christian home. One example of this especially comes to mind. In the 60s, our homes were beset with hippies morocco where up in the rift mountains marijuana can be picked in handfuls was a large center for the hippie migration near katamadu they came by their hundreds many of them beautiful young men and women in flowing robes and long hair sickened by the materialism and the false values of their own societies in america uk and many european countries they came to seek an alternative lifestyle Sadly, the only alternative many of them found was drugs and all the attendant evils. Many were mercilessly robbed, cheated, and sometimes beaten up. The cheap hotels and dirty basements where they squatted bred frequent diseases, and the girls often became pregnant. Some went out of their minds through LSD. In their distress, they turned to the hospital by the dozens. Later, in answer to the many prayers, a white team came to live in the hospital compound and opened a hostel for them where many found an alternative lifestyle in christ but there was still no hostel where peter suddenly arrived in my brother's living room during a family meal clad in only a scanty pair of bathing trucks he was over six feet tall and his whole body face and limbs were blistered with sunburn and his eyes were bright with fever He had been swimming on the beach and lay down afterwards in the midday sun and and slept for several hours. On waking, he found that all his possessions—wallet, passport, money, tickets—had been stolen and he was suffering from a sunstroke. He tried to reach his lodging in his trunks, but he was conspicuous to say the least of it. The police arrested him for immodest behavior. At the police station, he was made to stand next day for many hours against the wall in the blazing August sun. When he was at the point of collapse, they pushed him out onto the road. Where was he to go? With a mocking crowd of screaming kids behind him, he somehow managed to reach the hospital. But the hospital was closed for spring cleaning. However, the cleaners assured him that down at the bottom of the garden he would at least find a doctor. So he arrived in the middle of lunch and staggered in through the open door. The little house was full to overflowing, but Janet put him in David's bed, while David obligingly slept on a mattress on the floor. David and Martin were quite used to this sort of thing. We don't mind people in our bedroom at all, mummy, they once remarked, but must we have old women? The burns, though not deep, proved to be fairly extensive and became infected and smelling horrible in the heat. Peter was a quiet boy, disillusioned with the hippie life and rather non-committal. A Christian medical student spent a long time talking to him and we all tried to tear him up, but when he left us to return to England with a new passport and money borrowed from the embassy, no one felt they had got to know him very well. Then the letter came. It was a restrained letter of thanks, and only the last paragraph betrayed his real thoughts. I have found a church, and I have started to attend regularly, and I think now that I am a Christian." I stayed in your house for nearly three weeks and I have never been in a house where so many people of so many types and nationalities came in and out. Yet all the time I was there, I never heard an irritable or impatient word. If that is Christianity, then I want it. Is that not the heart and the crux of all our work? All Christian witness worldwide. So to live day by day that those who watch us will say, if that is Christianity, I want it. Not all contacts were so rewarding, and there were many discouragements and apparent failures. There were dark patches, struggles, times of bitterness, and near despair. Also apparently unreasonable physical attacks, which for me took the form of frequent migraine headaches. One of our numbers committed suicide. There was a strong temptation to yield to discouragement and disappointment with our seemingly fruitless labor, to envy those in other parts of the world where churches were being formed and souls won for Christ. Were we wasting our lives? Had we mistaken our call? There were those apparently strong missionaries who returned home after a few years, exhausted by physical and emotional breakdown, or simply through sheer discouragement. I remember the unnatural attacks that seemed to fall on one small American mission, whose activities counted for God and who dreamed of a radio program. A young mother and her baby died in childbirth. A fine new young worker contacted polio and was permanently invalid at home. A young son died, a baby died, another was born with brain damage, and a mother was so damaged by giving birth that she could never have another child. A husband was shot by thieves and suffered grave internal injuries, and later an only son of 20 who went back to the States to enter university was shot for his wallet containing a few dollars. In the end, as a mission, they all turned out of the country, and again we asked, Why? Why? Only after many years did the reason for these fierce attacks become clear, for it was through their efforts and vision that the Monte Carlo Radio the transmitting station set up by Hitler to announce his victory over Europe now beams the gospel nightly into all the North African coastal countries. To those of us struggling on against what seemed to, to us hopeless odds, the sense of failure could be crippling and the temptation to give up very strong. Also in a small, very hard-working community in a very hot country, with the frustration of a difficult foreign language and little outlet beyond the confounds of one's job. The attacks on relationships could be deadly, and this in spite of the normal deep ties of fellowship. But help was given. I remember the visit of a Swiss pastor who spent his life going from mission station to mission station with a very simple message. No Christian can be can be possessed of an evil spirit. The Holy Spirit can will never share his residence with the messenger of Satan. But in a Christless country where Christians have dared to launch an attack on enemy territory, the counterattack will be strong and definite, and the oppression of evil spirits should be quickly recognized. He urged us to give them their rightful names: pride, jealousy, resentment, discouragement, depression and to seek out a group of trusted friends and ask their help in binding and rebuking that spirit or spirits by name and claiming the victory. Where we obeyed, situations were healed and relationships were restored. So some of us learn the vital soul-saving lesson of forgiveness. Firstly, to others. So often the, the supposed slight can be ridiculously small. A look or a partial heard remark. A criticism repeated third hand at the end of a long exhausting day? Thus a nagging secret resentment is born and the enemy keeps it alive and blown up out of all proportion to the to detriment of health, happiness, and the effective service. We so often suffer because we cannot forgive or we cannot accept forgiveness, or sometimes a mixture of both. Secondly, we, we have to learn to forgive ourselves. The sense of failure. The deep discouragement, the feeling of guilt is very great. We tell ourselves self's missionaries should not fail or be discouraged. We can forgive only by looking at the nature of God's forgiveness. He delights to forgive. Malachi 7.18 We cherish our grudges and find it hard to reconcile. It wounds our pride to take the first step, but the father on the housetop could not stop himself. He ran to pour forgiveness on the prodigal. His forgiveness always takes the initiative, and our repentance is the result of his seeking. He never says, he was in the wrong, he should come to me. Rather, the shepherd took every step of the long road to forgiveness himself, and the sheep never took one to meet him. In fact, he never took a step at all. The sheep was carried back on the tide of the Lord's forgiveness. His forgiveness actively destroys the evil it forgives. It is so strong, so loving, so purifying, that it actually cleanses the heart in which it operates, as light scatters darkness. His forgiveness forgets. When God pardons a sinner, he instantly puts him in unclouded, unbroken communion with himself. His forgiveness sees us through the natural result of our failure. I am with you, said God to Jacob. I will bring you again. Genesis 28:15. We might say, after all, he brought it on himself. He deserves all he gets. Divine forgiveness saw him right through. Lastly, his forgiveness expresses itself. Many times doubt and a sense of strain drag on between two people who both long to be right with each other, because through shyness, fear, or reserve, neither can pluck up courage to discuss the matter. God, on the other hand, proclaims his forgiveness. Exodus 34, 5-7. This is taken from a book, A Missionary Muses on the Creed. So we learn to live as a loving, forgiving community of people of varying ages and from very different backgrounds, but one family in our Lord Jesus, holding on to one another in love with the assurance that our labor was not in vain in the Lord.